on GDC Podcast Episode 9, we have Mike Builder, CEO of Jackbox Games, makers of the hilarious Jackbox Party Packs that everyone's playing because of Shelter in Place. We'll talk about designing for humor, how the studio is handling remote work, and the origins of that disembodied Jackbox head. Back in a sec. And we're back. Hey, Alyssa. Uh, oh, hi. Oh, yeah. I'm Chris Graft, editor-in-chief of Gamma Sutra, and you are... <laughs> I'm Alyssa McLean. I do news editor stuff at Gamma Sutra as the news editor. And we are nailing the intro here <laughs> on the ninth iteration of the GDC podcast. I think we're gradually, like, episode by episode, waking up a little bit. So by the time we get into, like, the 20s, we're going to be so energetic. It's going to be wonderful. You think so? <laughs> That's pretty I'm optimistic. I'm That's hoping. optimistic of you. I mean, you were just telling me that your dog, um, your dachshund wiener dog, who yeah. is absolutely beloved by by the staff, mm-hmm. um, uh, got She's you up at devil. 4.30 this morning. Yeah, 4. Uh, she woke up at 4 to go outside oh. and then just decided to not go back to sleep and that I should also not go back to sleep. Oh, so, so what do you do? You're just uh, on, you're, you're just on Twitter and, uh, yeah, you angry uh, scroll through Instagram for like an hour mm-hmm. and then you give up and get out of bed, make some coffee. I did yoga yeah. this morning, which like, oh. I'm feeling because I'm not like an athletic person, but like, I'm like, yeah, why not? I have three hours until work starts. So, <laughs> so you did three hours of <laughs> yoga. <laughs> That's yeah, really I just laid impressive. on the floor for three hours and called it yoga. <laughs> it's a real yeah. centering experience. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, have you been playing any video games? I know that we, we've been talking about Animal Crossing, but I'm kind of... I logged on yesterday. Um, I talk about Animal Crossing like logged on like it's <laughs> my other I did my dailies. And then I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then I, I picked... Yeah, I picked some weeds... Um, my sister sent me a barbecue apron because I love to barbecue. Um, but and your your yeah. entire island is named after barbecue, right? Yeah, it's barbecue key. So you got a theme to keep up. Yeah, yeah, I do. But you know, I just pick some weeds nowadays. I think I'm probably playing it the most out of like that original group that I knew who's playing like every single day. I, I still play it. I still log in for a couple of like an hour or two every day. I've got some big yeah. terraforming projects going and relocating every house on the island, which is time consuming. And yeah, yeah. I, I feel like um, I'm playing just a whole bunch of random stuff right now. Like, except usually I'll start playing a game and then I'll play it for five minutes and then I'll stop and I'll keep on repeating that process for half an hour an hour and then uh, i'll just start watching the office on netflix for the (laughs) 90 billionth time Mm -hmm. uh but i've actually been sticking with some of the random stuff so i i picked up out the outer worlds again not uh the excellent outer wilds but the uh the also excellent outer worlds by obsidian yeah yeah. Yeah. so the uh like i finished up the uh, the game that i was on and uh like Previously, I played a like really sneaky, uh, sneaky guy, and I just put all of my points into lying, pretty uh-huh. much. So I have like I was able to talk myself out of so many situations. Um, so now, um, oh, and my guy was kind of like 
a jerk. Like if I didn't like... You have to be if you're kind of like the silver-tongued, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like I remember early on in the game, there's a guy that's running a town um, and his name is Reed and he wears this bowler cap and he was just really... uh, I didn't like his attitude towards the workers in his town, um, but it was mostly the hat. Um, so, so I killed so him right off the bat. <laughs> yeah, the the bowler's cap uh, thing, I just was not into, um, and he just had this thing about him. But this one, uh, I'm playing a uh, really uh, dumb guy, um, like below ab- be- below average intelligence, mm-hmm. um, but really good with a hammer. So. I'm just being really nice to everybody. And, or hitting uh, him with a hammer. <laughs> or hitting him, yeah. It's very binary. So it's <laughs> one, one of those like wonderful games, like uh, Fallout 2-ish, where if you have really low intelligence, it's just you speak like you have really low intelligence, right? Yes. Yeah, you actually unlock dialogue options where in brackets before the sentence just says dumb. So you have the dumb option, which is awesome. And whenever that comes up, I mean, you got to use the dumb option. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, And the NPCs are always kind of like, uh, say, okay, you know, they're kind of confused about how, uh, how thick you are. Uh, so what a nice way to wind down at the end of the day is just go be an idiot in a video game for a <laughs> yeah, while. Because I'm not an idiot enough during the regular day. So that's how I unwind, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Uh, moving on. I mean, I could talk about video games for a while. Maybe yeah. someday, like you know, we're gonna talk about video games with Mike. Uh, oh, that's our guest. A certain video uh, game. You just spoiled the whole thing that you already mentioned in the intro. Yeah. So <laughs> I did. We are speaking with Mike Builder in a minute. But uh, there is some exciting uh, game developers conference news, right? Yeah. That, that was my that was my segue for you. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Registration opened today. Well, today recording, but registration has opened, correct? Yeah, yeah. Always excited when some, like, not even just this registration, like, registration for anything opens, I just get absolutely, absolutely uh, <laughs> excited. That email hits your inbox and you're like, oh, yeah, that day's going to be like, great. Yes, <laughs> registration is open. No, but for real, registration um, is open again, dot, 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 for... GDC Summer, which is, uh, as had been announced between the last podcast and this one, is totally virtual. Woo. And it's like, it's a virtual conference with like multiple, with a lot going on. Like, it's not just a kind of like how GDC proper became um, a bunch of talks on, uh, not YouTube, Twitch. Uh, Mm -hmm. How GDC proper became a lot of talks on Twitch. This one has a lot going on and a lot of options that are probably not yet unveiled, but should be exciting to discover in the future. Yeah, I mean the you know the one that we did uh, to kind of fill in the blank that uh, the uh, that GDC in March you know that that one left um, was great. Uh, we're trying to make this one better, <laughs> <laughs> and I think it will be. And, and it's because it's it, like you were saying it's it's not uh, we're gonna have tons of streaming talks and and things like that and uh there's a ton of planning and going into making it an, a stellar like digital event instead of a like a, gdc proper was kind of like a sudden replacement that was mm-hmm. pulled off excellently but this uh, is a lot more uh, i don't know oomphing? yeah like intera- sure. <laughs> interactive stuff yeah, yeah like yeah. you're gonna be able to like meet like uh we're, we're using this this platform that's gonna let people uh 
interact more with each other, um, whether it's, you know, in a, a roundtable type setting or you can chat with people, you know, during their talks or they can be like Q&A, like breakaway sessions. You can split, you'll be able to split off with uh, people that you meet. And uh, there's still a lot of planning that needs to go into it. But the the goal for uh, GDC Summer uh, Digital is uh, we're setting the bar high and yeah. going to give people going to still have all the like the really cool, um, you know, sessions. And those will those will be streamed and uh, and all that. Uh, there's going to be so much of that stuff. And mm-hmm. what's also exciting is that um I, I just kind of get excited because, like, um, I can ex- I'll be able to experience GDC. I'll just sit, uh, sitting on, on my butt in my gym shorts. <laughs> I want to put makeup on for GDC, and I'm really excited for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, uh, so the, there's going to be all that kind of stuff. Uh, you'll also be able to uh, watch the archives of these uh, of these broadcasts. Uh, I think almost immediately after they originally broadcast. So. You can, you know, it can you can make it work with your schedule. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I'm excited about it. Uh, there's going to be more information that comes out. There's also a Q and A on gdconf.com and Gamasutra with uh, GDC General Manager Katie Stern, who uh, who runs the whole the whole thing. And uh, there's some more information there. Oh, we might have like live like a a channel with just a live live streamed uh, relaxation thing, and we're <laughs> I'm personally pushing for otters, mm. um, yeah. But there could also be something like I don't know what baby goats. My brain just went to Animal Crossing. I'm. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. the waves in Animal Crossing with like the hourly music mm-hmm. in the background. Yeah. Just six degrees of Animal Crossing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Maybe uh, like Gulliver just. (laughs) Just passed out on the beach. Yeah. On the beach. Yeah. I mean, let's do it. (laughs) Forget otters. I'm just enjoying how much that (laughs) sentence makes no sense to someone who doesn't play Animal Crossing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's okay. Everyone should be playing it anyway. That's true. All right. Well,. We got the announcements out of out of the way. I can talk, so let's uh, let's get on with it and uh, get our very cool guest on. Okay, our next guest started in the game industry at Midway in 2000 in Chicago. He had uh, worked on the NFL Blitz series and other sports titles there, and now he is CEO of Jackbox Games. Let's welcome Mike Builder. Hey, Mike. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. It's so nice to uh, get you on here, especially um, having stayed up too late and drinking too much <laughs> last night playing your games. <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> what, what game were you playing? Um, I think it was Jackbox Party 2, and kind of our, our go-tos are Fibbage and Quiplash. Perfect. Yeah. 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 Is there like, can you tell a lot about someone by what their like most played Jackbox game is? Is that like some weird metric you guys have? <laughs> we run extensive personality profiles just based off of your first answer of your favorite Jackbox game. Yep. Oh no! It's all it's all AI, <laughs> machine learning. There there are definite favorites that stand out. So a lot of people play Quiplash and Fibbage and Drawful, and those have also been in the market the longest time. So yeah. it's usually usually pretty common answers. Yeah. Uh, let's let's get to Jackbox in a second. But first, Mike, about you. 
Okay. <laughs> I, was, I was stalking you on LinkedIn, and I saw that before you went to Midway in 2000, you worked at Motorola. I did. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah. How did you How did you uh, bridge into the game industry from there? Well, uh, growing up, I was way into video games. Uh, I had an Atari and then a Nintendo, and I used to spend a lot of time in the arcades and pumping quarters into machines. So, always loved video games. Um, also, always loved tech and computers. And so, my undergrad is in computer science and. My intention was to get into video gaming. I wanted to make video games. Uh, I kind of knew uh, in high school and then in college that that's what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was kind of hard to break into the gaming space. It's not like nowadays when uh, you, know, you can just get an iPhone and, and an SDK and you can pump out some games onto mobile platforms yeah. and PC and still a very closed marketplace. Um, so it was a little hard getting in. It was a very chicken and egg. They wanted to know what games you worked on in order to be interviewed at a game company. And it's, it's challenging to start that way. So I ended up taking a job at Motorola and I worked uh, in the GSM division uh, in a software test group. Um, it was very cool stuff and being driven by tech, it was very fun to be a part of, but it was also a place I knew I was never going to make a long-term career. So the whole time I was there, I was doing some skunk work stuff on my own, just working on some homebrew game stuff um, and bombarding game companies with my resume. Um, and so mm-hmm. Midway at the time was certainly one of the biggest presents in Chicago. Um, and they kind of owned CoinOp, which was still a thing back in the late 90s. Um, yeah. And uh, so that was the place that I wanted to get into. And so with a lot of persistence over a uh, year and a half or so, I ultimately got a job there. And so that's where I started uh, the career in the game space. And I was initially working on CoinOp, um, working in software development for the next NFL Blitz and NBA Hangtime games. And then about six or eight months into my career there, they shuttered all of CoinOp. So we mm-hmm. moved into home console development and then uh, worked on NFL Blitz and a number of sports franchises and ultimately branched into more of a management role than a software engineering role. So, Yeah, we um, have, uh, the, you're the second Midway vet that we've had on. Oh, uh, we cool. had, yeah, we had Dave Lang come on. Oh, sure. So um, out, of, out of the like 10 or so podcasts, Midway is represented uh, in two of them. Uh, so congrats on that. That's fun. <laughs> uh, Dave is a very close personal friend. So. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Oh, that's very fun. Yeah. yeah. Now, obviously, there's a lot of people, um, you know, that are that are playing Jackbox games. I mean, how many millions have has it sold? Um, most of the party packs are over a million. Um, yeah. Sold. And, uh, and then we've done some kind of bigger. We have standalone titles and we've done some bigger giveaways. And so... Um, just even around this whole quarantine time frame, we gave away Drawful for three weeks. And so there are millions of installs just of Drawful now out in the wild. Yeah. Now, how has this um, changed the way or impacted the way that uh, the, the uh, stay-at-home um, initiatives, how has that impacted your business? Well, it was, you know, right around the time everything started shutting down, um, kind of mid-March, um, traffic started increasing on our servers and um, you know we were in the same state as the rest of the world where we're now shutting down and moving the whole organization to be uh, work from home or remote office and mm-hmm. um, 
shortly thereafter, uh, it really started to increase. And you know, I've kind of given the stat to a couple different people that have uh, asked recently. But you know, the, throughout the year, we have ebbs and flows of people playing our game, as you imagine, during the week. There's less play around the weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You get a lot of play, a um, lot, lot more activity on the servers. And then around big holidays throughout the year, uh, Thanksgiving's a very big one. A lot of people are home from school with friends and family. Uh, you get the same around Christmas. And then New Year's is always uh, the biggest holiday for us. Most traffic, most games played, all the above. And as we got into that first week of quarantine, we started seeing daily traffic that was about the size of Thanksgiving, and we started seeing weekend traffic that was as big as New Year's, wow. and then surpassed New Year's and started breaking records uh, as far as traffic for our games. And so it was a very busy time. It still mm -hmm. is a very busy time, um, but it was you know our, our, our whole server infrastructure is a lot more stable and beefed up and because we were reacting very quickly to a lot more traffic and um, in real time finding some bugs and fixing some things and adding stability and updating controllers and um, and then also the website we just suddenly had this influx of traffic to our website and uh, we've never had uh, you know concerns of it going down or the shop going down and we had all of that happen to us within you know about a two-week time frame just this giant mm -hmm. influx of traffic so um so it's you know, it's kind of odd i would imagine a, a lot of video game companies have had a similar thing though i mean now that everybody's at home um you know game sales i would expect are up game play is way up um it's a bit of a a, a weird moment to find success out of what is a very trying and anxious time for the rest of the world. Um, yeah. But we've done some things as well. Um, we're doing a big charity thing right now where we're... Uh, oh, we're I saw that. You're getting huge like celebrities on there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's been fun. Um, we're running a 10-week episode or, or a 10-episode um, flight of, uh, of... It's called um, uh, Jackbox... Uh, celebrity games and giving and mm -hmm. we're having a number of celebrities on each episode uh wayne brady has jumped on board as host so he's been hosting them <laughs> and uh just last uh just this last week on friday uh we had jack black and jason sudankis and olivia wilde and kiki palmer and so we've got some really big that. name people playing the games and it's great. The whole point is to draw attention to charity. So what mm -hmm. we've been doing is we've been giving $100,000 away each episode, uh, and the charities are picked uh, based on their COVID-19 uh, relations. So whether they're you know, supporting first-line responders and getting personal protection gear, or whether they're helping displaced workers or people negatively affected by being furloughed or let go, um, helping to feed people, so we picked a handful of charities uh, that meet that criteria and kind of organized a bit of a giving back campaign. Like we found a bit of success now that everyone's quarantined and playing our games and we want to give this this back and, and help the people that are affected. That's so great. And that and that can be seen on Twitch, right? Yeah, it's being simulcasted to Twitch and Facebook, YouTube, Mixer. It's on a bunch of platforms, but you can go to our channel on on Twitch or on YouTube, just Jackbox Games, and you can watch the archived ones and then There'll be another one this Friday and then Tuesdays and Fridays uh, going forward. By the way, how many people are, are, are working on these games right now? 
So we're at about 40 people full-time at Jackbox. Okay, yeah. So I'm, I'm wondering if you and your studio have been able to, um, you know, while they're working, uh, digest how the games that you're making are being consumed by so many people under these circumstances and how they're, you know, they're really improving lives. Like, we've, we've been playing them nonstop, seriously, <laughs> with every single... Uh, like Zoom meeting that we do with family, and it's really positive experience. But have you and your team been able to think about that positive impact? And does that what, what does that mean to you? Yeah, it's great. I mean, we it, it's it's a wonderful feeling to know that our games are bringing some joy right now to the world, and they're bringing connectivity and social interaction. And uh, you know, as simple as some of them might be, and the fact that they're just full of irreverence and fart jokes and things like that. Uh, <laughs> It still works, and it's still very fun, uh, and it's it's been a it's been a great, um, I guess, kind of a ray of light for the studio that, uh, you know, we know that people are are being um, they're, they're experiencing uh, that social interaction, and they're they're getting some joy out of what we're building, and so it's 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 wonderful. We're very happy and very proud of that. I'm wondering if uh, so. You worked at at Motorola and with phones, there's probably no connection between that and uh, the phone feature. (laughs) (laughs) I would love to say that was the case, but but no, I I hadn't thought that up, you know, 16 years in advance. Like I've always wanted to make this game. Yeah. Um, That was, that's, that was the breakout feature though, right? You know, it's somewhat came out of necessity. Mm -hmm. Um, and and a bit of trial and error. I mean, we weren't the first to pioneer using your phone as a virtual controller in a way, um, but we definitely simplified it and and you know very heavily customized it. Um, and we had done a. Um, I kind of have to rewind. I've been with Jackbox now since two thousand and eight, uh, and we originally started the company back. I, I joined to basically restart the company. It was mm-hmm. the old Jellyvision Inc., which was the you don't know Jack. Yeah, uh, it's a company. Really interesting history. Like I, I was, I was going through it. And I was like, oh yeah, they were Jellyvision, and then yeah. you, you kind of uh, the sales of the uh, you don't know Jack kind of fell off, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they were very heavily reliant on the CD-ROM industry at that time, and in the early two thousands, it just kind of nosedived. Mm-hmm. And you know, there were a migration to home consoles and the PlayStation, and and the company wasn't well equipped at the time to just take the kind of product they were good at and make it work on a PlayStation where there's no keyboard and yeah. you only have one controller, maybe two, and. So the idea of kind of doing uh, trivia games or party games like that, um, it, it was a little lost in translation to that new platform. So ultimately, uh, the founder closed that company down, um, it kept kept the company alive in the sense that it still retained all the IP rights and it owned, you don't know, Jack and the technology. But he started a new company called Jellyvision Lab, which was a marketing services company. And that company still exists. It's It's been very successful and it still exists as Jellyvision. Um, one of the reasons we rebranded and renamed to Jackbox Games is there were two companies doing business with the name Jellyvision. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one... Yeah 
doing some serious stuff in the healthcare space and one doing fart jokes and irreverent <laughs> trivia. And so, <laughs> so we just, we took the, you don't know, Jack, uh, head, the icon, you know, the, the, the most recognizable icon and we kind of turned ourselves into Jackbox games, but it's really the same core, um, tech and the same core of the original, you know, games company that made You Don't Know Jack and Jack, including a handful of employees that have stuck with it all these years. But when we when we kind of tra- when I joined in 08, we went back in that model of using, you know, third party developer publisher. Let's get a publishing deal, and then we'll make a new You Don't Know Jack, and they'll publish it for us out at retail. And we kind of got back in that standard way of doing business in the console space. Then we moved from that into social and mobile. We were doing stuff on Facebook and on mobile phones. And then we moved from there back into the premium market, um, knowing that we could self-publish now on uh, PlayStation 3 and then 4 and then on Xbox One. And um, at the time, we kind of ran back into that same problem that the original Jellyvision had as they were going back into cons- as, as consoles started emerging and, and PC CD-ROM was was uh, was falling and that you don't have controllers for everybody. How do you make a multiplayer party game? Uh, and the ones that were successful at it up to that point, at least in console, were something like Seen It, where they had the big button controllers mm-hmm. that came with it, yeah. or Rock Band, where you got a whole bunch of peripherals and this is how you played together. Um, but everyone still multiplayer means getting online with uh, you know, an online connection, my one box to your one box. It doesn't mean suddenly there's eight controllers in the room and everyone can play. So Again, that kind of phones as controllers came a little bit out of necessity, is how can we make a true multiplayer interactive game in the same space? Um, and, and that's how that evolved. And we originally had it as an app, and you would download it and have to get on the same network and mm-hmm. to discover. And we just wanted to eliminate as much friction as possible, which is how it converted into this just a, a, a web app, basically, or a web page that you go to. Yeah, I was going to ask about the trial and error on that, because like every other game I can think of that's had like some phone element has had like, I think there was an Ouya game I played that had like a one-off app you had to download, and then there's yep. been some PlayStation attempts that have one-off apps you have to download, and like, yep. it's so difficult to like onboard just like having someone next to you and be like, all right, no, download this app, and then log in, and then enter this yeah. code, like... Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, that just that experience, uh, you turn people off, and the, the excitement to play the game, if you add friction in the experience, okay, you have to, what's your Wi-Fi password? I need to get on your network, or wait, I have to download this 100 meg app on my Android or my iPhone... And at the time, even when we're talking back in 2013, 2014, there was still Windows phones. And so we have to make an app for Windows phone because somebody <laughs> might have that. And so it's, you know, it, it, it got very complex and it added friction and would turn people off. And so we, again, we pivoted away from that into let's make this as simple as possible. Anyone with a phone anywhere in a web browser can join the game. Um, and that introduces some limitations to what we can do. Uh, because it's web-based, but we've also evolved it over time to be pretty robust, and it skins itself, and it, it's contextual, and it does all kinds of different mini kind of apps that happen on the on the HTML5, and so it's it, it's really evolved over the years too, from what was initially a very simple interface just for Fibbage mm-hmm. um, in 2014 to what it is today. And like you keep uh, that that website. The same, like the same website, the same code formula works for like your most recent release, all the way back to like the first Jackbox that you guys have running still, right? That's correct. Is, yeah. There, is that difficult to like manage that many versions of one thing that all kind of like converge at this point? So the yes, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
you know, we have an incredible team uh, and we've got some very talented artists and engineers that are, you know, responsible for a lot of that controller technology. Um, it has also, you know, it's probably one of the things that's least appreciated uh, in what we do. It's very easy to look at a game and enjoy what you're seeing, the visuals, the sounds, all of that, which again, very talented people making all of that. But on the phone side, on the controller side, there is a ton of stuff that's happening there with server infrastructure and with uh, obviously the, the very custom web interfacing for each of the games. And it's a lot of work to do all that. And over the years, we have almost from the ground up rebuilt that three times now. Wow. Um, so it is it has evolved to kind of our 3.0 version of our uh, kind of ECAST technology, we call it. And along the way, you know, we have to maintain games that are now six years old. Um, and we also need to expand on feature sets for things we want to do in the future. But some of the cool stuff is, you know, we've evolved it so that there are audience modes where people can join uh, a game on Twitch if a streamer is playing a game on a, or or in a if you're you know in the in the strange universe where everyone can be in the same space like a convention, <laughs> uh, you know you can you can go to a PAX panel and watch us play Jackbox and two thousand people in the audience physically can actually join the game and vote and affect the outcome of the game on Twitch or on Mixer or streaming sites up to 10,000 people can join a single game session. So uh, a lot of that, again, is all that back end technology that has evolved over the years. Um, and it's it's really robust and it, it, it's very powerful to allow us to do the kind of things we want to do. Yeah, it's it's wild how easy it is and how well it works because I, you know, playing with people on zoom, like members of my family, some of them barely know how to check their email and then yet they're able to, you know, go onto the the website and then just use it. So naturally, I just think that is absolutely, it's, it's absolutely key to like why everybody is playing it right now. It's so accessible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of the features we built, you know, the, the first and foremost kind of design, um, uh, mantra for the, for when we're building these games is is social interaction in the room. Mm. It's get people talking, get people laughing, get people having fun. The game should be a conduit for that. And obviously, there's different types of games and genres of games in our packs. There's trivia, and there's lying and bluffing, and there's hidden identity. There's all different kinds, but we're always looking to get people to interact in the same space. And the fact that now that has been um, kind of migrated over to the virtual space through Zoom meetings and Hangouts and, and video conference software. And it works so well, like we love it. We love that it still works in that method and mm -hmm. people are having the same experience as if they were in the same room together over video conference software. Um, so we're, we're very happy. I, I mean, that that is definitely a reason why people are playing right now. Um, is that I think it translates over to these these uh, software packages yeah. pretty seamlessly. And if you have one person that's a fan or an advocate and they introduce it to a group of coworkers or friends, um, you know, it, it tends to have a bit of a viral effect where people love it and, oh, I'll pick it up. It seems easy to do. I'll, I'll host a Zoom meeting next week with yeah. my family or my friends. That is so. exactly what happened with me. Uh, one of my coworkers, actually uh, Bryant Francis, uh, who did a Q and A with you on Gama Sutra, he yeah. um, he did one for our coworkers who work on Gama Sutra and GDC, 
And then I'm like, oh, like, I want to do that. So then I just downloaded a bunch of them. And then uh, now I'm doing it with my family. And so that what you described is exactly what happened to me. Yeah. I mean, we see that throughout the year. We've seen that over over the years and then even throughout the year as we get towards release of a new pack, which typically comes in the fall each year. Mm. Um, but it's definitely, you know, everything's been accelerated by this quarantine. I mean, we just see this exact same kind of behavior and that kind of viral introduction to people. Um, and I, I think that's obviously a reason why we're seeing some of the growth that we've seen during this time. Yeah. What's the cadence on releases then? Uh, we've been sticking to October mm-hmm. of each, each year. We, we launch a new pack. Um, you know, we never commit to a date because there's so many moving parts, so we always say fall, but that's that's always the goal, as we try to get it out in October. Let's talk a little bit about designing these games. Some of them have been around for years. Uh, what was the sure. what, what was the first uh, uh, trivia game or like get, like game that was included in a Jackbox, or was it Quiplash? Was that the first one? And then it starts. They start bundling together. Uh, the very first one was Fibbage, okay. and that was in um, late summer of 2014 uh so and and that one you talk a little bit about the phones as controllers thing um that one was a challenge because we were disrupting what is the norm of the console space which are very closed marketplaces and closed to external peripherals and you know you have to go through certification processes to get all that stuff done and um microsoft uh was initially very willing to uh if you remember they used to have a i don't remember what they called it glass or something microsoft glass it was like an app based kind of phone interactivity with your console yeah vaguely Um, (laughs) yeah and so they already had a bit of a precedent for doing that and so we kind of pushed with them early on this idea with fibbage and they embraced it and uh, again, it's all of our kind of server infrastructure that's running all that communication. So it's got to go through their closed network and back. And again, there's lots of restrictions and, and technical requirements and things for, for all of the consoles, all the first party console mm-hmm. folks. Um, but we found Microsoft was willing to play ball. So um, we managed to get Fibbage through their process quickly. And then it was a little lengthier going through some of the others. Um, Sony, everything has to go through Japan for mm-hmm. any kind of exception to the norm and things. So, yeah. uh, but again, thankfully, there's a precedence now. We've they've all agreed to do this. So year over year, it's been it's been much easier. But at the time, it was it was disruptive and it was a, a bit of a challenge to get that to happen. But we got Fibbage out, um, and uh, it it had some initial success. Uh, and then we, as quickly as we could, said, how can we get something out by fall? Uh, with more games. And at the time, we had built uh, a version of You Don't Know Jack that was on Ouya. So Yeah, Ouya. <laughs> comes Ouya. up two times. Yeah. So, <laughs> you, were, you were talking a minute ago about having to download some controller app to play some Ouya game. It might have been You Don't Know Jack because we, we had an app called Jackpad, which was, oh, you know, yeah. once again, we're like, who's going to have more than one Ouya controller? Right? And so <laughs> how do we make this work on this platform? So that's, <laughs> right. So that's where we made, uh, that's where we first made a phone controller app. And then we evolved it into this web-based thing for Fibbage. Um, so anyways, we had, you know, Jack from Ouya, which had updated content. We had uh, Fibbage, which we had just launched, and we added some additional content to that um, and called it Fibbage XL. 
Then we had a mobile game called Lyswater that never really amounted to much. Uh, and we decided let's repurpose that because it has a whole bunch of trivia in it as well. Um, we had this concept internally that we had kind of been iterating and kicking around for years called WordSpud, which is just this kind of activity. And we're like, yeah, it's good enough for a game. We'll put it together. Let's get it in there. Um, and then we we made Drawful in that time frame as well. And Drawful is very much like Fibbage, but it's the mm-hmm. same mechanic, but it's drawing. Yeah. And um, so it was, from a design perspective, kind of an easier one to, to crack in a short period of time. And, and we were a skeleton crew back then. We probably had 15 people in the studio. And oh, wow. so we pulled all that together and got it launched uh, for holiday. I think it came out in November um, on consoles, digital only, but on consoles. Um, and that kind of changed our whole trajectory. I mean, we were very much treading water as a company at that time. Like we had come off of this mobile social kick where we invested a bunch of money and found middling success we were kind of burning through cash and and then we got back into the premium marketplace which was some of my bread and butter i mean that's what i was doing all that time at midway was console releases and you know annual cycles things like that so we kind of got back into that marketplace uh with the first party pack and then then since then we've done a couple of standalones then we did quiplash as a standalone the next year then party pack two then we did drawful two as a standalone then we did party pack three and since that time frame now, we've just been doing a party pack annually and trying to put all of our effort into that. Yeah. What's the what's the process for coming up with and designing all of these different games that you include? I'm just interested in, in what iteration yeah. and, you know, what that looks yeah. like. Well, it's a ton of iteration. Um, there's a ton of just concepting and prototyping internally. Uh We've just exited that phase uh, because we have selected all five games that are going to be in Party Pack 7. Um, So those are all in full production. And then we'll run that whole cycle through the summer until the early fall when we're submitting and trying to get things ready uh, for launch, ideally sometime in October. Um, But then as soon as we get into that submission release cycle, people start freeing up and those people start going into just concepting and prototyping mode. Mm -hmm. So anyone in the company can pitch and many, many people do. Um, If you have some germ of an idea and need support, we will help to find resources to whether it's design resources or art or engineering resources to kind of form a mini team around the product and try to bring it to life. There's a lot of paper and pencil testing that happens early on. You don't need digital prototypes. You just want to test a mechanic if it's funny or fun or, um, and so we're, we're in that phase from late fall through kind of Q1 of the following year. And we start green lighting games one by one. Uh, and obviously the criteria starts to change for what we're looking for in a pack as we green light games. Um, but I would say, you know, in prior cycles, we've had upwards of, you know, 50, 60 concepts that we kicked around that uh-huh. got narrowed down to five that went into a pack. Um, there's a lot of them that, you know, get revisited year over year. So a game like Push the Button, which is a hidden identity game that was in Party Pack 6, that game had been prototyped for multiple years, for multiple cycles. It was originally pitched for Party Pack 4, and it just wasn't ready for prime time yet. It hadn't kind of fixed some of the problems with it. Mm-hmm. And so it it kind of kept coming back year over year. Team would pick it up and iterate on it, and then it ultimately made it into the pack. So some games have a very quick cycle, like they're fun and funny and quick, and they're unique and novel and easy to green light. Some have a longer path. 
Um, but it's a fun time. It's a very fun time in the studio because you're constantly playing games with people. And, um, you know, not only our own games, but we play all kinds of games, board games, video games. We're just trying to get inspiration and research. And um, so it's a it's a pretty fun cycle. There's like something unique kind of, I feel like, for Jackbox where your audience isn't just like the quote unquote gamer crowd. Is that something that makes it more difficult or easier when you're in that prototyping stage to try to like make sure you don't have games that are too much like video gaming, too inaccessible for maybe not your regular like PlayStation controller gamer? I mean, it's, we, we definitely have a sense of what our consumer is at this point, or at least, you know, we have metrics and analytics of what's being played, how often it's being played, um, where, where there are completions in the games. We know if someone's completed the game, for instance. So, um, so we, it's helpful in that we understand the consumer a little more directly because we have a franchise now of people having played it for years. Um, but what we, the approach we typically take is we want to have one or two games in the pack that are very easily identified as like, oh yeah, this is totally a Jackbox game. Like, meaning it's you know something similar in play or ease of entry to like Quiplash or Fibbage or some of the games that have had multiple iterations and are clearly very popular ones. Um, quick laughs, you know, easy to easy to digest, not a big learning curve. Once we've identified a couple of those. Um, then we kind of look at the edges of the bell curve, and now we can take some flyers, right? The, one of the wonderful things about the party pack is that there's five games in there. The value proposition to a consumer, if you like a couple of the games, mm -hmm. two of the games, you're satisfied with the purchase. Three of the games, you're very validated in the purchase. If you like more than that, awesome. Like, we somehow made something that appeals to everyone. Um, but if you don't, it's okay. Like maybe we have some games that are very polarizing, and we definitely have a handful like that over the years. Where I'm trying to get everyone people... to play Bidiots in my family because I love that yeah. game. But um, yeah. this is like two people, other people that like it. it you know, it's just it's... that's right. That happens. And that's in Party Pack Two. That's where Bidiots is. That's one of the games that's on the periphery, like of that bell curve. Uh -huh. a, there's a there's a group of people that love it and say it's one of their favorite games, and there's a group of people that just don't like it at all. And we obviously aren't going for that. We're not trying to polarize people. But because we have this bundle of product, it's okay if it doesn't appeal to everyone as long as there's a couple anchor titles or stronger titles in that pack that do appeal to everyone. Mm -hmm. And and it makes the job fun because we get to experiment a little bit on those peripheries and do some games that we may not otherwise be able to sell individually. Like if you were to chop those games up into five separate standalone games, a pack up into five standalone games and sell them, um, you might have a real hard time selling a couple of these games, despite the fact that maybe 50% of the world would love it because on mm -hmm. its own, it's tough. But with with the umbrella of the rest of the pack, it, it makes this really rounded out fun game night. Like we're going to go play this one a couple times and then let's go try that one. And if we love it, great. And if we don't, that's okay. We're going to go back to the other two or three in the pack that we still do love. Yeah. And so it, it's it's a fun experimentation that we can do. Um, but uh, to get back to you know not alienating people or making things too hardcore, I mean, that's always top of mind. Um, in early testing, we're always looking for at least... Uh, like I have an office down from one of our main conference rooms. And when we're in that cycle of testing and prototyping, when I hear the room erupting in laughter, 
I'm always, you know, piques my interest. Like, what's going on in there? What is that concept? What is that game? You know, it's it's if you've got belly laughs coming out of a game concept or a game prototype, it's usually a pretty good sign that there's something really good here. There's something core to this that's going to be fun and funny. And so, so you know, it's it's a it's a weird metric, but it's one that I always look for is uh, how loud are the are the laughs and hoots and hollers coming out of that conference room. It sounds like a fun place to work. <laughs> you know, it is. Um, it's definitely fun. We we work with a lot of really talented and funny people too. I mean, we have uh, you know a good amount of writers on staff and um, a number of people in the studio have kind of gone through or been part of Second City or Improv Olympics oh, in wow. Chicago. That makes sense. So yeah, there's just a comedy bent to a lot of what we do. So there's there's always a lot of laughter. Um, but we're still a relatively small company and we do a lot. We, you know, we're, we're making five games a year uh, and we're putting them out on 12 different platforms. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, and on top of that, other things like a charity show with celebrities for 10 (laughs) episodes and some international stuff. And, you know, we're, so it's, it's busy. It's it's a fun place to work, but people work really hard. And and ramping up infrastructure when uh, there's a pandemic going on. Exactly. And, you know, like, yeah, everybody's uh, got different reactions to what it means to work from home. But a lot of people at Jackbox are working harder than ever working from home, uh, just given the ramp up that was needed to to handle the traffic and the web traffic and all that. It seems hard because like what you were describing, you know, your belly laugh metric is very office and physical, you know, based. How does that work right now? Yeah, it's different. Um, you know, we've got a number of different video conferencing tools that we're using, um, and we have different kind of virtual rooms set up. Okay. So they're just like our conference rooms at work. We have different names for the different conference rooms, and we have these virtual rooms that you can pop in and out of at any time, and it's as if you were in that conference room. Um, that helps a bit because you can schedule a meeting saying, hey, we're going to have this meeting in the playroom. And so that virtual room is is where you're meeting and so there's still this idea of like we're all in this room together it's not hey here's this unique zoom code go to that one from this meeting and so there's a little bit of persistence i think that helps um on fridays we do uh, a fairly large play session in the in the later afternoon where we're kicking the tires on what's changed in the last week or two on the games that are in production right now and that involves uh the whole studio that's a little harder to organize when you've got 40 plus people right now. So we've kind of broken that up into, you know, thirds basically. And like, you know, this group of 15 joins here and this group of 15 joins here and so on. Um, And then we all get together in one big zoom hangout after that and just kind of socialize and talk about it. So it's different. I mean, it's probably like everybody else. There's some things that are easy. I mean, it's, we can make software and art and, um, you know, we can run a business remotely, but you do miss that. That's the thing I miss the most is just being able to walk down, you know, the hallway and talk to a bunch of people or walk into an office, uh, uh conference room and sit and play together. Uh, it's just, you lose a little of it. Yeah. Thankfully we had already gotten through a lot of that prototype phase when the work from home happened. So we didn't, it's not like we were picking four out of the five games for party pack seven remotely. Like we still had all that benefit of the social interaction, um, before the quarantine happened, but, but it's tough. I'm sure it's tough. 
it's tough for us, just like it's tough for everybody. You mentioned that you have a lot of writers, and how do you design humor into into games? <laughs> what's what's the is there a process? I know comedy is a craft, but how... I'm glad you're asking this because usually I ask it, and I'm just like, I'm just not funny. How does how do jokes work? <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Um, it is a uh, it is a trade secret, and I will protect <laughs> my staff that's good at it until the day I die. Um, uh. You know, it's. Uh, it, it, I, I think that is one of the unique things about our company. To be honest, mm-hmm. it's. I think it's hard to be consistently funny. It's hard for anyone to be consistently funny. And I know that we're not always consistently funny, <laughs> but we can bring humor to games um, very effectively. And I think we also have some design um, methodologies that help bring humor to the room and make you as a player be funny. So it's not necessarily the game has to be funny all the yeah. time. But the game has to set you up. As oh my a player gosh! There's be- some like so such obvious setups. It's just, it's just yeah. <laughs> I mean, but they work. It's an editorial process. It's a presentation <laughs> process. I mean, there's it's it's definitely having kind of honed this skill uh, by everyone in the studio over all these years. But um, but yeah, there's 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 a method to it. It's not it's not just luck. Yeah. No, I'll be, I'll be playing uh, on Zoom. And we'll be doing quiplash, and then I get a certain prompt, and then like my brother-in-law, like I can tell that he get he got the same prompt as I did, just because of yeah. his reaction to it. His reaction in the room. Yeah. There's the weird like humor bubbles too, where when when we've been playing like uh, the GDC and Gamma Sutra teams all together, where there'll be like one joke where like all the Gamma Sutra people gravitate towards a specific a- answer, and the GDC people go towards the GDC answer. Yeah, it's just, it's weird, sure. These humor bubbles. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, even just simple things that you learn through playing, um, just the callbacks, right? Mm -hmm. Just the idea in Fibbage where some people wanted to play that game to be funny and didn't even care (laughs) about winning. And so we added the likes cup so that there's an idea of you can win in points for actually being good at the trivia and you can win for being the funniest. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's, there's things that you react as you play the game and you add and tweak the design as well. Yeah. So good. Well, I have to ask this question because uh, we got we got to wrap up here. Um, but okay. <laughs> like, every everyone in my family is asking what, um, the origins of the head in the box thing. What is, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you got to go look back at the original. You don't know yeah. Jack boxed packaging from the you know the CD-ROM. Mm-hmm version that uh, I guess it would have been Berkeley Systems early on. So it was Jelly Vision developed and Berkeley Systems published. And it's just a, you know, a, a, I guess three quarter shot of an inquisitive bald headed man kind of looking up. And, okay. and the game is You Don't Know Jack. And so that became the icon of that game, um, the Jackhead, we call mm-hmm. it. His name isn't Jack. That isn't Cookie. Or any of the is hosts it somebody? Of the, of the is game. it some? It is. It is. Yeah. It's. It's a head model. Um, he's, <laughs> what a career! He's still around. I think we actually did a blog post on him at one point on our website because people asked. Um, and uh, I mean, he has very distinct features. Um, and then that kind of persisted, as you know. I mean, one of the one of the great things, but also one of the challenging things for early Jellyvision was there were so many iterations of you don't know Jack that. Um, you know, the company had a lot of success in the 90s, but then it also 
became a bit of a one-trick pony just with that franchise and kind of fatigued everybody because it was the same. Um, you know, there were different iterations of it, but it just was overwhelming. Um, and But that head persisted as kind of the icon. It became persists. the icon. So, yeah, so we turned it into a bit of an animated head. It's no longer the actual physical photorealistic head. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, when people... You know, we did some kind of surveying and we had a lot of followers on Facebook when we were doing our Facebook stuff. And, um, you know, the thing that I identified with the most was that head. Like people people didn't even know Jellyvision as much as they knew the You Don't Know Jack head. Mm-hmm. And so when we rebranded to Jackbox, that was the piece of iconography that we took with us. So we need to find yeah. And then we put them in a box <laughs> instead of a... <laughs> that's that's, that's really deep, yeah. <laughs> Right, naturally, pop like a jack in the box, I guess, popping out of yeah, a box. We need to find yeah. the head model and get him on the podcast. <laughs> taking notes, taking notes. He, you know, I he had some demo reel on on YouTube at one point. I think he auditioned for Survivor or something. Oh, so, wow. I I could probably find you some links and send them your I way. I would love it. Really I would curious. love to share that with my family and friends who I Zoom <laughs> Jackbox with. Yeah. Funny. <laughs> Uh, well, thanks so much for joining joining us, Mike. And uh, you know, best of luck with uh, you know working through this uh, current situation we have with uh, you and your team. And uh, thanks for making these great games. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for playing. Thanks for being an advocate and introducing friends and family to it. We always love that. And but we love hearing the stories of it. Really you know, brightening people's day, especially right now when uh, everybody's uh, stuck at home and, and scared. So I would encourage people to, uh, to check out some of the charity stuff um, and, and please donate if you feel so inclined. We're trying to make a difference uh, as our one little company can in this, in this crazy time right now. But, um, but there's a lot of people suffering and a lot of people working really hard through this COVID-19 stuff. So however we can support it, we want to. That's awesome. Thanks again, Mike. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. believe the revelations about the head <laughs> that was gonna be a simple <laughs> you could answer. just cut out the rest and have it just be like that. that that is the golden moment for this podcast yeah and it's an actual person like that's really what i was trying to get is that like someone's like brother or cousin it's like it, I wonder if, he's probably has like an imdb page right he's gotta i'm not gonna clack clack on my keyboard to find it yeah now, but like yeah 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 we're gonna we're gonna find out i don't know why um i i, I like that i would like to put um a, a name to the head. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. No one is named Jack so far. <laughs> Been several people involved with Jackbox not named Jack. I don't know. Yeah. I feel lied to. Yeah, I know. Just uh, <laughs> can't believe anything anymore. Um, so, so it was oh it was interesting. God. You were talking earlier, and I meant to talk a little bit more with Mike about this uh, about these comedy bubbles where you'll be like sense of certain senses of humor are kind of displayed and uh you know you become you know you gravitate towards certain yeah people it's like it can be a very different game depending on who you're playing it with uh like family to friends to coworkers and all of those kind of different experiences yeah 
I, I play, let's just say I play differently with my coworkers, even though I know that uh, we all kind of have similar, similar senses of humor. Uh, but it's something about being on like the official, the official uh, company, uh, Microsoft teams, uh, channel and then uh and, you know and then uh you know being as as lewd and crude um as i would be on a random zoom with my family uh, and uh, like, there's been moments uh because we've been playing like every week or so with uh co-workers mm-hmm. like jackbox every time i've been on um but where you can see people kind of like go to make a joke and then they like look up and they're like no not here <laughs> yeah. and like it's all it's all like none of it's completely horrible humor or anything like that but it's just like that little little awareness you have depending yeah. on who you're playing yeah i was trying to test i was trying to test the waters slightly and then and then <laughs> and then it didn't work out so i, I backed off like i made a joke uh about what immortalize it on the podcast <laughs> i made a joke about it. so like some, somebody we were playing drawful and somebody was trying to draw like rocky four i think so there's like a guy like it was supposed to be his glove up in the air but and like the the ropes from the ring are are behind him and uh but to me it looked like a, a hitchhiker trying to wave a car down and then i said you know our co- co-worker joey i said oh that's uh joey leaving his family and then, <laughs> and then didn't, no one really laughed it's not really funny but i just tried I was like what if i did this and uh, yeah. it, it didn't get any votes uh it really bombed uh, there's like uh my go-to um like half horrible person segue off of that is like there's the the tko game in that and like my go-to uh just enter you have like one person draws a picture for the t-shirt and the other person puts like a catchphrase at the bottom oh okay yeah and my like go-to there is i want a divorce because it is hilarious <laughs> and the right thing but then you are playing with like a married couple and you maybe hear them have a fight in the other room and you're like i should not <laughs> I, know. I know i did it when uh when when joey's wife and uh daughter were in the room so uh <laughs> i don't know <laughs> you're on they're, they're got your name written down now that chris yeah, guy yeah <sighs> so it, it's it, it it is interesting hearing mike though talk about how they do iteration and you know thankfully they were still able to put those things together in the office and prototype those games uh physically um it just seems like it, of course it'd be possible uh and it would take adjustments uh, a lot of people are, are are making adjustments with the current, mm-hmm. you know, pandemic situation. Uh, but when when you're using like pieces of paper, or drawings, or things are reliant on this kind of, uh, you know, very interactive kind of comedy, um, then that just seems difficult. And you know, hopefully we get through this thing, uh, you know, before uh, they go into that phase again. Yeah, no, I had a question written down that I crossed off because, like, phew, they made it past that window already. But, mm-hmm. like, how do you kind of, like, when you're in an anomalous situation, like a global pandemic, how mm-hmm. do you, like, keep that from coloring your design decisions? And how do you keep from leading too far into the current situation? Mm-hmm. And then you end up creating something that doesn't work once the situation's over. But thankfully, I didn't yeah. ask that because they didn't have to go through that. They got not, like, lucky they, with the timing, but... So the process lucky. lined up okay. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone is so lucky. Uh, it, it was also like that was that was validating to me. Uh, the thing about um, 
taking a couple flyers and you know there's a couple games in every box that are kind of on the edge of the bell curve mm-hmm. and then when i said bidiots like i always like <laughs> i always want to play bidiots but no one wants to play that with me but i like that game so like if if you don't know it's a it's a game where um you draw pictures and they're like in an art auction and then people have a certain amount of money that they can use to bid and you just try to make the most profitable buys, basically. Um, but all of these things, um, the the prompts are really close to each other sometimes. So you might know, oh, like a Lazy Boy chair is worth $800. Well, guess what? Office chair is like worth like 4000 you know? And the drawings mm-hmm. look really similar. And then you make uh, poor buying decisions. Uh, and <laughs> it's too close to reality for me. <laughs> you go to a lot of art, uh, art shows, art, uh, art. Uh, auctions. I was gonna say like Wish, and like you order like the the AirPods, and you get like the giant like speaker ones instead. There's like a, a meme floating around that I'm ref- visual things I'm referencing on our podcast, yeah. but that's what we like to do. Yeah, no, there's I can definitely like there's there's a couple games in the packs that like when you have brought that question up, I'm like, Oh yes, this one, this is the one that we always kind of scroll past. But like being able to have that creative risk when you have Mm -hmm. like your surefire hits and then just like kind of experiment a little and sneak that like maybe weird one that you'll never talk about again into like pack three or something. And then it's out there. Yeah. A lot of thought goes into that stuff. It's yeah. For, for us to goof off and uh, (laughs) draw terrible things. It's a really cool, unique (laughs) Uh, set up for because not a lot of games are like that. Mm-hmm. I feel like not a lot of series are like that either. Yeah. Um, but no, I really liked the how they looked like anyone on the team. I've can't remember if we've talked to devs on the podcast before who have a similar approach or just do like a studio wide game jam. But you hear studios doing mm-hmm. that where like yeah. it's not just the designers who write down ideas. It's like an open floor to like anybody who has something and then they will take it from there. And it's like it's a really cool yeah I don't know studio culture. It's a it's a smaller team than I thought it would be. Honestly, not much smaller, but I mean like it's forty people. Uh, that's a that's a fairly small studio considering all the things that they do. Yeah, and another Midwestern studio. I'm like yeah. Yeah, I think it's because uh, we were raised in the Midwest, so we have... <laughs> we just, just gravitate towards... Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, this person went to Purdue University. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, on that note, I think I think that might be it for this one. I'm, I'm, yeah. Yeah. Uh, phone controllers are cool. Sorry, Ouya. Um, that's my notes. <laughs> like you're going to pour one out for <laughs> Ouya. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, that's all for now. Uh, you can check us out on all the usual places. We're on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. Um, I'm going to keep sometimes on saying sometimes on YouTube. Sometimes on YouTube. <laughs> hey, I, I I I gave all of the downloads. I finally gave them to the YouTube uploader man. Uh, if we're not on YouTube, there's plenty of other wonderful game development content on GDC's YouTube channel worth checking out. Yeah. There is. But um, so if you like what you heard, leave a extremely nice review with as many stars as possible on it, because that would be very nice of you. And uh, follow or subscribe. Well, I'm Chris Graft. I'm Melissa McAloon. And we'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye. Bye.